1: Listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, the only free 24 7
0: Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Bring your A game. Ladies and, Ladies gentlemen, and gentlemen, 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 you are now, you listening, are now listening, listening to the Fantasy, to the Fantasy baseball, baseball Hour, hour, hour with hour, hour, Al, Al hour, hour,
1: Welcome, everybody. You are listening the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host Al Melchior and uh, happy Friday to you TGIF. Uh, You know Monday, the next day that we do this show, uh, it's not going to be as late of a first pitch as uh, we normally have. Uh, So I did put the call out for uh, questions. Uh, I think I got one so far. So uh, if uh, there's something that uh, you want to get settled, the dilemma that you have I may not be uh, taking lineup questions on Monday. I mean, I realize if you have a rolling lineup lock that that could still be uh, you know, a viable time for you to get your questions asked, but uh, just putting out a last call here because uh, I'd hate to miss the opportunity, but there is plenty of other things uh, for me to talk about in this hour. Uh, first of all, we're going to have the return of Alan Jager from Jager Sports. If you listened on Thursday last week. Al enjoyed the show, and we had such a, a great conversation that we actually never got to what I I was thinking was going to be the main thing we we're going to talk about, which was uh, analytics in the major leagues and and sort of the balance between analytics and scouting. And uh, we will talk about that today, but we got some other uh, interesting topics to cover as well. So you definitely want to stick around for that. Um, we had a uh, another Walker Buehler uh, outstanding performance on Thursday. I will break that one down, and an interesting twist in that one statistically that I will share with you. Uh, the Braves uh, pretty much went nuts against the Marlins. Uh, some big performances there from uh, Ozzy Albis and uh, Ender Inciarte, Freddie Freeman. Break those down as well. And uh, lots of uh, DL news, injury news, uh, which is, of course, pretty much the norm, but some things that will definitely uh, impact you as you go into the weekend. So here we go. Uh, the Cardinals yesterday placed Carlos Martinez. This actually occurred towards the end of yesterday's show, and I didn't see it in the last 10 minutes or so. So this is kind of old news already, but the, the Cardinals placed Carlos Martinez with a uh, right, late, right lat strain on the 10-day DL, that's uh, been moved back retroactively to Wednesday, and it is expected to be a, a short stint. I know you've heard that before, so but I'm just I'm just passing on you know what I read. Uh, so the corresponding move was calling up uh, reliever Mike Myers from AAA Memphis, and according to Craig Mish of XM. Uh, Martinez is expected to miss only once and start, but this does kind of open things up, at least in the short term in the Cardinals rotation. Uh, Now there was going to be a question about whether or not Jack Flaherty was going to come back up. Uh, He did not start on, I believe it was Monday when we saw uh, John Gant and that was really just a, uh, it, it could at least be explained as a procedural thing where, um, Flaherty got sent down, but there had not been a corresponding DL move that would have allowed Flaherty to come up without going down the minimum 10 days. Uh, so, of course, obviously that's, uh, well, first of all, that those 10 days have elapsed. And, you know, in any event, Martinez has been placed on the DL. But it looks like Wainwright could return to take that, uh, basically take back his old spot in the rotation that Gant filled in for. Uh, So that would put Wayne right on track to start the Sunday against the Padres. Not a not a done deal, though. Not a done deal. And as far as Flaherty goes, it looks like based on his minor league starts that he's going to line up to actually replace Carmart on Tuesday next week. And uh, Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch pretty much confirmed as much, saying Flaherty is going to be in the rotation. Uh, obviously can't be as soon as Sunday. So Tuesday is the likely day for Flaherty to come back up. So check your waiver wire or check your bench if you've been stashing them. If you've been stashing Jack Flaherty, I'm sure you will have to check your bench. I'm sure you're very aware of that. And then there's another name in the midst of all this, and that's Alex Reyes. So he just started his minor league rehab at um, uh, Palm Beach the other day. And so he is going to be uh, moving up the ladder in his uh, rehab assignments, and according to uh, Jim Bowden of uh, the Athletic and Cbsports.com uh, Reyes is targeting a May 28th return, and he is being stretched out to be a starter. So things are going to get very complicated over the next uh, two or three weeks in that Cardinals rotation. But at least in the short run, it does sound like Jack Flaherty is going to be up. So. Get them ready to be in your rotation for next week. The Blue Jays earlier today put Marcus Stroman on the 10-day DL. He's got right shoulder fatigue. They made two corresponding moves because they also put, uh, uh, I believe they sent Tim Mesa down. Uh, so they had two openings. So Joe biagini up uh, been recalled and Sam Gaviglio. Both can be starters. Both can also be long relievers. I have not seen any report in terms of either one. Replacing Stroman, my guess is, based on how these things typically go, that they'll go in the bullpen, and whichever one is available when Stroman's turn is up, uh, they they would fill in for him. That's just speculation on my part, though. David Price, he's going to be ready to start tomorrow against the Blue Jays. So it's been a very up-and-down week in terms of uh, David Price news. Uh, So he threw a bullpen yesterday, that being Thursday and uh according to mlb.com he's gonna be ready to get back uh, in the rotation for the red sox tomorrow so uh i would certainly think that it would be a good idea if you own him to keep him benched and see how he does because his last few starts have not gone well he's got the carpal tunnel so you know maybe he's good to go and he's clear of that i'd like to see it first but maybe that's just me few Nationals notes, uh, according to Masson.com, Adam Eaton had arthroscopic surgery on his left ankle yesterday, but there's currently no timeline uh, or timetable, I should say, for his return. But this certainly does help Matt Adams because the thing I've been saying over and over again on the show is, is uh, that I've really not been pursuing Adams in most leagues because uh, – the bidding on him has really been inflated, and understandably so. Uh, he's been red hot. He's got lots of power. There, there's no reason to doubt the power that he is currently showing. And something I don't think I've discussed uh, but is a trend for Adams this year is that he has gotten more selective. So that the power's already been there, but he has been a better hitter so far this year. But my concern is just that Eaton, he could have been back mid to late this month. Prior to the surgery, and I thought, well, do I really want to spend what's going to take to get Matt Adams? And and what it takes in the leagues that I've seen has been ten percent and upwards of of my total fab budget, and I just didn't want to do that for a guy that might be a, like a two week rental. So I, I would guess, even though we don't have a timetable for Eaton, that that uh, shelf life for Matt Adams now just got got a bit longer. Uh, Matt Wieders. Also, he uh, had to let leave the Nationals game yesterday early, hurt his hamstring, and also may have a possible injury to the back of his knee. And the Nationals uh, could be really sort of strapped for a replacement. Uh, I'm sure you recall earlier in the year they had Miguel Montero, and then they released him. Uh, so they do have Tuffy Goswitch in the minors, and they've also got uh, Spencer Ebom. Uh, who's not doing great in the minors. And I don't think either one's on the 40-man roster. So maybe the Nationals, uh, like the Mets, maybe they go out and get a catcher, or maybe they go with Go Switch or Key Bomb. We shall see. Matt Harvey has been officially activated by the Cincinnati Reds, and he is scheduled to make his first Reds start. That's right, a start tonight at the Dodgers. When I reported on this, I think it was yesterday, or maybe the day before, uh, It had been reported that Harvey would likely pitch against the Dodgers this weekend, but his role was TBD. Well, now we have the the D, which is determined. Um, You knew that. So uh, Harvey gets to start tonight, and the corresponding move, I did speculate on this, that Brandon Finnegan, it didn't seem like he was necessarily a candidate to lose his spot, but that is what happened. Red sending Finnegan down to AAA Louisville. Another change for the Reds uh, in the front office. Uh, Dick Williams, who had been the GM, is now going to be president of baseball operations. And Nick Kragal has been promoted to be the Reds' new general manager. Uh, Some twins news from MLB.com. Paul Paul Molitor says that uh, Miguel Sano is not going to be activated from the DL uh, during their series with the Angels. And he is still trying to figure out whether or not Snow is going to require a rehab assignment next week. So that's one that you're going to have to watch over the weekend. But it doesn't sound right now like Snow is going to be somebody you're going to be able to count on for week eight. But we shall see couple of developments for some injured Dodgers, Justin Turner and Logan Forsyth are both expected to start their rehab assignments this weekend. So I think I talked about Turner on yesterday's show and said that he's a, a possibility for next week. So still looking good for Turner as well as uh, Logan Forsyth. D. Gordon, the former Dodger was uh, not in the lineup yesterday for the Mariners due to a bruised toe. Um, I believe the Mariners have a a late game tonight, but let's just check in real quick there. Oh, that's right. No, it's uh, the Mariners playing the Tigers. But, well, I'll get to that because that's a sketchy looking one because of weather. So I'd say for whether it's the toe or the rain, uh, don't plan on using D Gordon in your daily lineup tonight. Bud, North, Bud Norris returned uh, on Thursday, and not only came back from his triceps injury, but actually got the save for uh, the, the the Cardinals against the Padres. And Norris's former team, the Angels, they got their uh, their their. Uh, Closer back, I I sort of hesitate there because he was on the DL, but Keenan Middleton came off the DL, but he did not get the save, even though there was a save opportunity for the Angels against the Twins on Thursday. Uh, Middleton pitched the eighth, and Jim Johnson, who hadn't had a save yet this year, but in the last few days had been used in closer-type situations, he did get the ninth inning, he did get the save opportunity, and he did get his first save of the season against the Twins, so no word from Mike Sosha or any sort of reports as to whether or not Middleton's going to be eased back in, whether they're going to be there's going to be a committee. It's the Angels, it's Mike Sosha. I think anything could happen there. <laughs> uh, you know, for all you know, it could be Blake Parker. I don't really mean that, but I'm just saying that uh, with the Angels, it does seem like almost anything could happen. Uh, but I wouldn't certainly rule out the possibility that Keenan Middleton gets the next Angel save either. Byron Buxton returned from a much longer DL stint than was initially anticipated. uh, Had the toe injury. And his first game back in that game uh, against the Angels didn't go so great. He went 0-2, for did walk, did reach base. Also was batting ninth in the Twins lineup. So uh, let's check in. We've got uh, a Cubs-White Sox game in progress. Uh, so that should be a fun series this weekend. Now last I looked was not going so well for uh, the White Sox and Carson Fulmer but haven't checked in since we started the show. So uh, that one is uh, actually still stuck at 5 nothing. It's now in the bottom of the second inning at Wrigley Field and uh, Fulmer coughed up all five runs in the first inning. Uh, so not quite you know, a Dylan Bundy start but not really a whole lot better. Uh, but Ducks. appears maybe that uh, Bulmers rebounded a bit. Uh, we do have runners on first and second, but two outs in the first inning and still 5-0 Cubs. It's um, Tyler Chatwood going for the Cubs, and he's off uh, to a good beginning in this one. And already a Wilson Contreras home run, just his second of the season, but he seems to be heating up a bit uh, lately, so that's good news there for Wilson Contreras. Uh, now, I mentioned weather. I'm actually going to get to that first before the lineups because there are a couple of games that you really need to be aware of before alliance lineups really even come out for these. And one, as I mentioned before, is the Mariners Tigers. This one looks really, really iffy. A 91% chance of precipitation at game time, which is 710 Eastern at Comerica Park. And really, uh, the forecast right now doesn't look like there's going to be any let up. In that rain. So, I, you know, the, in terms of the pitchers, Matt Boyd and, and um, Marco Gonzalez, I was avoiding them anyway for this one uh, just because I didn't like the matchups. Mariners and Tigers are both teams that have been hitting lefties well. And really, and, and Matt Boyd, I wrote a piece earlier this week how I finally come around on Matt Boyd, but there was going to be no way, even with good weather, that I was going to start him in this one uh, because not only do the Mariners hit lefties really well up and down their lineup, But um, they also have been one of the best teams in the majors away from home. So, uh, yeah, didn't look like a good one, really, for either starter in this one. Definitely avoid them now and pretty much any Tiger or Mariner hitters that you were thinking of starting tonight. The other one, uh, just a few yards to the east, Cleveland uh, hosting the Royals. That situation looks a little better, especially at game time, only an 18% chance of precipitation, but then that chance going up as the night goes on so maybe a chance of either a cancellation in that one or maybe just really really lousy playing conditions so that one uh i think you need to keep uh keep an eye on as you get closer to game time so otherwise uh weather looks good and as always uh getting my weather information from uh, roto grinders and as far as lineups go, we got both the Braves and the Marlins lineups. We've got the Pirates and Rays. A's lineup just came out uh, since we started the show, so I'll need to take a look at that one. Philly's lineup as well. But let me go, go with what I know here. Uh, Braves, Marlins, 7-10 start Eastern time at Marlins Park. Marlins lineup looks uh pretty much normal, but the Braves know uh, Jose Bautista. It's going to be Ryan Flaherty batting eighth and playing third base. And behind the plate, it's uh, Kurt Suzuki night, so no Tyler Flowers. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're facing the lefty Andrew Suarez, so no Corey Dickerson and no Colin Moran. So you got uh, Sean Rodriguez in the lineup in left field, and David Breeze, the lefty killer, batting sixth. So I'll check back. I've got these a little bit later off. I've got to head to break. And when I come back, I'll be here with Alan Jager. And that's going to be great. So don't go anywhere. Be right back.
0: Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fancy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fancy Sports Radio Network app. 844- 84-FNTSY That's 844-843-6879 The Fantasy Sports Radio Network Your free fantasy source 24 hours a day
1: everybody this is the fantasy baseball hour i'm your host al Melchior, and uh been very much looking forward to this next segment uh, if you tuned in last thursday you got to hear uh, uh nando and i talk to alan Jager, and uh we had so much more you know we talked about bringing him back so <laughs> he is going to be back here with me in just a moment uh but before bringing alan on I uh, just want to uh, remind you of the DailyRoto.com dollar a month. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it here on the network, but just wanted to put it in context for you. So let's say you buy a lottery ticket, you pay, pay, your, dollar, you pay your dollar, you pick a bunch of numbers, that's it. Then you clutch the ticket and you hope. But now let's say that you try DailyRoto.com dollar month. You pay your dollar, and then you get access for 30 days, and you are transported into a world that's produced five millionaires. So take destiny into your own hands. Go to DailyRoto.com and enter the code $1, all spelled out, O-N-E-dollar, one word. That's DailyRoto.com, and enter the code $1, one word. Don't forget. And uh now it is time uh very excited here to welcome uh, Alan Jager of Jager Sports back to the show. Alan, thank you again for taking the time and joining me here here on the show.
0: Hey Al thanks again for having me on and uh, you are a man of your word. You said last week you want to have me back on and you uh you came right back at it. I love it
1: <laughs> that's great well i I love it that that uh you're also taking me up on it so uh, we'll get right to it. And uh, one of the things that I did promise, and I'll try to, uh, I will try, I will keep my word on it, is to get your uh, perspective on the analytics movement in the major leagues, because I think you've got maybe a different take on this than uh, a lot of people that I have on the show, and, and probably different than my own take. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I want to g- g- get to something else first. And, and actually, it really, it, it sort of tickled me that uh, you, you stayed tuned into the show after your segment was done, so you already know what's coming here. Uh, Nando had, had come up with what I thought was a great question, which is, we had talked a bit about Lucas Giolito and your work with him last week when you were on the show. And I just said, well, what happens if uh, one of Giolito's teammates, like let's say James Shield says, hey, I I like what's going on with your game here. Uh, you know, how can I work with Alan Jager? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, th- I thought that was a really interesting question. So, I mean, how does that typically play out for you in terms of the, the athletes that you work with and do you work, do you start with them in the middle of a season or is there more of sort of a, a regimented process that you go through?
0: Well, I, I'd say just historically, um, and I think this applies to anybody in the, in the training field, um. In-season stuff is predominantly mental, unless they're players you've already have a history with, where you can talk maybe physical tweaks over the phone. Don't get me wrong; if you're a pitching coach and someone sends you video uh, to, to look at, but I think once guys are at the major league level and during the season, it's it's tricky. But um, but it could happen instantaneously if a, a player finds out another player is working with a mental guy and they're going through a tough time. Um, I'll have I've had. You know, agents call me, uh, where they, it could be mid season and they want me to talk to a guy and, um, they're very receptive because usually if they want me to talk to a guy, it's because they're going through a tough time. So I guess to answer your question is you can do this stuff on the fly easily. And, and I can think of one other example. I, I wasn't directly involved, but it, it sort of involved long toss where, uh, Tin come for the first time, as you remember about five, six, seven years ago, um, went through his first spell ever where he was not just dominating. <laughs> and people were wondering why his velo was down. Um, and from what I could gather from whatever inside information I had, it it, it just sounded like he'd really gotten away from his long toss uh, more or less, I think since he started his career uh, with the Giants, but definitely uh, that accrued over time. So he literally went back to long toss in in the month of about September, and if you, and this is stuff that's right up your alley, because I think if you look at FanGraphs, if you look at his numbers, I can't remember the year, but it was the year they went they went to the they might have won it that year against the Rangers.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, okay.
0: But if you look at it was the year where he had like I don't know he had like a really high ERA in like August, and um, and he literally went to long toss on the fly, uh, starting in the beginning of September it was because I I, would, I know I was on the KMBR radio show. Um, and we were talking about this exact topic. So long story short is he, he might've gained, I'm just going to guess two to four miles an hour. He might've gone from 87 to 90 to like, uh, 91 to 94, something like that. But it was obviously a massive difference. And he had a, uh, I could think a two or less era in September and ended up pitching very well in the playoffs. Um, so long answer, short man, or short answer, long. Um, you definitely could do things on the fly, but I would say it, it tends to be more guys tend to be more receptive and more, I, I think, in a in in the need mode, uh, quicker with more mental game stuff.
1: Okay, well, and as you were recounting that, I I went back to uh, Litzcomb's twenty twelve page, and he really struggled, and then at some point in in August, he did turn it around, and mm-hmm. uh, the velocity actually didn't. Yeah, and it's funny because it wasn't really a velocity thing that stayed pretty much uh, steady for him. But yeah, the, the the performance really improved for him. So that's that's very interesting to have some context, uh, you know, going back to that season, right, with that uh, that World Series against the Rangers. Um,
0: well, well so, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but I um, even though I just cut you off, but. <laughs> I could tell you for sure, because I remember clearly, because I was on a KMBR show in San Francisco about this topic, and so I know he was in L.A., and I know, I remember clear, clear as day. His radar gun readings were in the 80s for sure, and I know for sure uh, maybe the month of September's v didn't go up as much because it, it takes a little while to get back in long toss shape, but I remember him throwing 92 to 94, give or take, in the playoffs. Um for sure. And, and that, that was only a month. That was October. So whatever it was, and I don't know if fan graphs, if it breaks it down in a month, I mean, that, that doesn't lie. But, uh, from what I remember with my eye, I remember he absolutely had a pretty significant jump in Velo, but anyway, whatever it was, the bottom line is <laughs> he obviously started throwing much better.
1: Yeah. And yeah, No, the, 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 the results are just markedly different. So that's, that's a pretty great testament to the, the work that you did with him. Um, so, but it, well, I didn't so really it's do a, it with him, but it was the idea that he did okay. get along to through the grapevine. He, he
0: I mean, he, he started long tossing again, which was which was cool.
1: Okay, so you see, you're you're there in spirit. Yes, I'll take that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. Telepathically,
0: Excellent. we we were there telepathically, like through just the term, the concept of long toss. Even though he was a huge long toss guy at Washington State with uh, Ken Knutson, I mean, Ken Knutson's a hardcore long toss guy. So, um, that was part of his, his world anyway, but he just went away from it for whatever reason. But, uh, anyway, we digress.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a good digression. I mean, that's why I like to have you on the show because you give us, you know, context and flavor to these, these things that we remember. Um, so is that pretty much though the um, I know again you said you didn't specifically work with Linsecum, but that sort of thing where you, you're brought in to help somebody who's really struggling is that more of the the exception to the types of work that you do because uh, I know you, you work with a lot of, of uh, college pitchers and, and uh, even high school pitchers right. Yeah, no, no it's, Yeah, I'd say it's it's pretty normal. I mean,
0: um, the reality of it is, is that whether you're in high school, college, professional baseball, probably little league, <laughs> I mean, you could be very confident and rolling along. Um, baseball is an extremely mental game because there's so much time between action. Whether it's pitching, hitting, pitches, game, you know, uh, starters every fifth day, relief pitchers may not get in for four to eight days. Uh, Whatever it is, there's a lot of dead time. There's a lot of time to think. And thinking is at the core, really, of distractions and stress and anxiety and all that stuff. So um, it's actually very, very normal for uh, a baseball player. Golf is the other sport that always jumps out at me as being extremely mental because, again, of all the dead time between shots. Mm -hmm. So it's, to be honest with you, Al, it's actually really, really normal. Um, Guys, uh, I'm not saying guys don't roll like, through a season, but look at someone like Saberhagen, Saberhagen's history, right? He'd have this unbelievable, he was known as having an every other year just off the charts and why that happened. I can't comment on exactly, but all I can say is, is that that's a macrocosm um, really of the reality or a microcosm, I guess, of the reality. The reality of it is, is that um, this is a very, very mental game and, players um, will tend to need tweaking throughout the season. Maybe their pitching coach uh, is a good mental guy or pitching coach is a good fatherly figure or just, you know, really knows him well. And so they can kind of help really guide him along. Someone like a Kershaw has been doing it so long, he just kind of knows how, you know, he's just working off of years and years of success. But I, I'd say the average baseball player, honestly, hitter, pitcher, doesn't matter. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on through the season where, um it's not unusual at all for them to, to get some kind of coaching. And a lot of it's behind the scenes because, uh, number one, if a player reaches out to somebody that's outside the organization, they don't want the organization to know. It's a very, as you can guess, it's a very slippery slope. So um, a lot of times a player will work with a player. I actually had an experience with uh, Brett Tomko way back in the day, and um he went from a very difficult three or four month period. And you can look this one up because I ended up on the back of his baseball card. So I actually know the exact stats, <laughs> but he went through a very difficult time. We talked twice over a three or four day period. And, and again, it's not an arrogant thing. It's just how big a mental adjustment can be, but he went four or five and O with like a one, two something going into the playoffs he pitched that game that Steve Finley hit the Grand Slam, where the Giants, if they won, I think they would have gone to the, uh, to the playoffs or at least gone to a playoff with the Dodgers. But if you look at Brent Tomko's September of uh, 2007, something like that, but he was with the Giants. Mm-hmm. It was his last year before he came over to the Dodgers. And he's another example of someone who was, you know, may have had a five ERA or whatever it was for the first four months of the season and uh, then we made some tweaks and he went 4 and 0 or 5 and 0 you're probably looking it up right now but he went 4 and 0 or 5 and 0 with about a 1 2 in the month of September and it, but my point is i think it's very very normal people may not just hear about it because I, I, and also it's the competitive nature i think of athletes they don't want maybe everybody to know what they're doing or again i think it's as much about protecting the organization by going outside of the organization
1: Okay, Uh, and I wasn't looking it up, but I definitely remember that stretch uh, with Tomko and the other the other association that I make with him, uh, which really has absolutely nothing to do with what you were just talking about. But it's the (laughs) first time he's the player where I I became aware for the first time that there was a a connection between fantasy and real baseball because his brother played fantasy. And and I read somewhere that Tomko was upset that his brother wasn't starting him. And his brother mm. said, "You're terrible. I'm not going to start you." So that that was always something that that I thought was sort of sort of funny. Uh, wow, that's <laughs> that's kind of a, <laughs> that's, that's cold. An race. all the family kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was before the stretch. I do remember that was before the stretch that you're you're talking about. Uh, so, yeah. Alan, I want to make sure that for a second week that we don't get short on give short shrift to the analytics discussion. Okay, so, uh, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, you and I offline about a week and a half ago. You know, you just started, you know, talking to me about uh, sort of your view on how analytics has progressed, and, and so basically, you know, I just would like to bring that discussion to the audience. Uh, so, what, what's your feeling right now about uh, where major league organizations are at, and maybe where they should be in regard to, to advanced analytics?
0: Well, listen, I don't have. Science in front of me. I don't have the data in front of me, so obviously, whatever I say, people, you know, are going to state as off the cuff. Um, I mean, I have been in the game for 28 years, and I do feel like I have a very good pulse on on the general feel of the game um, and the nuances of the game. And, and I just, it's not that there's not a place for analytics. There's obviously a place for science and research and data. It's not. I'm not going to dispute that. I look at everything in life as a balance though. And there comes a point where, and, and I, and I don't remember who said this, but someone, it might've been, it actually might've been Alex Rodriguez on an ESPN game where I think he was talking more about hitters and, and, and lifting the ball. I, I just think things are going to um, start to come back to an even keel. I think like a lot of things in life, there's an excitement, there's the data, people are getting a competitive advantage. So it makes a lot of sense, you know, who can get the best, you know, analyst and, get the, get the edge. So I get it. And there is advantages to it. But I, I think what happens is you take the human element out too much and you're asking for trouble. And at the end of the day, it's as black and white to me as that you, you, you have to, you, there's an, there's an instinctive part of everything in life, including sports, of course. And when you start to get so rigid, um, it, to where the instincts are taken away or are greatly compromised, um, but then I think you have a problem, and, and I feel like what's going to happen. And I um, I feel strongly about this. It's going to self correct itself. We just sort of went very extreme in analytics, and that's fine because we've learned that there's some value there. But I think what's going to happen, like trends, there's going to be a trend that oh, okay, good trend, analytics are helping, and then there's going to be another trend that's like too much analytics, um, not enough feel. And at some point there's going to, of course, be a happy marriage. And so that that's my simple take. I can't really specifically say I've studied fly ball hitting versus line drive hitting and so on and so forth, but uh, I think at some point it's going to pan out. It might take five years, but um, the idea of hitting the ball in the air and home runs and there's less fielders in the outfield and all that, that may that may still have validity. But I think at some point I know as a hitter, my best chance I've always felt to um, have success was hitting line drives because if I missed a little bit high, I hit a hard, hard, hard ground ball through the infield, potentially. If I miss a little low, it's a gap or a home run. And, uh, and again, I don't have enough data to say with the, the, the lifting and the angle up. I did, I do know, I don't know a lot of stats, but I do know I heard the other day, something about the strikeouts are just off the charts up. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to me, You know, again, I don't know if the data is going to pan out to say this, but, you know, I I learned in high school from my coach, you know, if you're a strikeout, you're a dead out. You did nothing to make the defense do anything. And uh, there's something to be said about putting the ball in play no matter what and putting pressure on the defense. And uh, I know bunting is out and all that stuff, but I I just feel like that, you know, there's a place for small ball too. And there's a place for, you know, guys hitting line drives. and, and, And so we'll see we'll see how it plans out. I I, I just, uh, I'll go back to the one bottom line, which is instincts um, are one step ahead of us. So that's a powerful concept. Our instincts are one step ahead of us always. It's sort of like try to define the word love. Okay. You you can spend 50 years and you can go with the most beautiful ways of describing it. Are you ever going to touch the feeling of love? And to me, it's that simple instincts and intuition, things that are more uh, maybe not empirical, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very powerful. Uh, we can put a lot of data and a lot of analytics on intuition and instincts. Uh, we're not going to get to um, the power and the depth of, of the actual feeling. So that, I'm curious what your response is, to that, because that's really the, my bottom line.
1: Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, we're, uh, we're right back where we were last Thursday, Alan. We're just about out of time. <laughs> so uh, well,
0: Give me your 10-second response. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I, I generally agree that there's got to be a, a happy medium between the two. Uh, I think where it gets tricky is trying to operationalize it and, and coming up with the specific scenarios where mm-hmm. it may lead people into trouble. So mm-hmm. as I raise more questions than I answer. So that, that's what I got have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand or better yet in the pocket of your khakis well check it out now you can it's the fantasy sports radio network app download it now to your phone we promise no weird viruses no strange tracking things just 24 hours a day seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head it's the fantasy sports radio network app Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, just want to remind you that if you want a chance to win two tickets to a 2018 World Series game, just go to dailyrodocom DKMS. Take a crack at playing free Daily Fantasy Baseball. You can play every day. And yeah. again, it's totally free. And the con- contests are sponsored by DKMS. We're looking for your help in the fight against blood cancer. Every three minutes, an American is diagnosed with blood cancer. And only 30% of all blood donor patients are able to find a compatible bone marrow donor in their own family. So go on over to dailyrodocom DKMS and find out how you can help eradicate blood cancer and at the same time play free daily fantasy baseball with a shot at winning two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. And once again, I'd like to thank Alan Jaeger for uh, joining me on the program. And, man, he threw me a great question at the end there, and I had 10 seconds to answer. But I I, I want to come back to it because I also want to bring it full circle to what we talk about on this show day in and day out uh, because essentially you know what I feel like I do in this show, when I'm here talking and in and, and the time before when I'm preparing for this show is I'm going through the data. I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for things that are surprising. I'm looking for outliers. That's that's the kind of thing. I mean, I think if you listen regularly, you probably pick up on that, that that's the thing that I, I first of all, I find it interesting. And secondly, I find it helpful to get that advantage over my fellow owners and my leagues to to be the first one to find find the outlier that has some meaning in it. And a lot of outliers don't lead you anywhere. But, I, I, you know, we talk about, um, uh, c- you know, competitive advantage in the major leagues, you know, going back to, you know, Moneyball, but but really ever since. And so, you know, what I thought was important about what Alan had to say, not only for us as baseball fans, but as fantasy owners, is that, you know, we're always in this quest for the, for the competitive advantage. Uh, but... There, there does seem to be a missing element, um, you know, that we 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 dig after the data, but sometimes the data doesn't make sense in a vacuum, and so that I'm I'm always in that search for where to find more meaning and better understanding. So I know this is kind of a soapbox moment, but uh, I did want to kind of close the the loop on that discussion. So uh, anyway, I just saw right before the break that. Um, uh, it's going to be Joe Biagini taking Marcus Stroman's place in the uh, Blue Jays rotation. And it's going to be Sam uh, Gaviglio going to the bullpen. So that's another open loop that I can close there. And then as far as lineups go, i have got all kinds of things to kind of uh, follow up on here. we got a whole bunch of lineups now, uh, pretty much everything before eight, uh, an 8 o'clock Eastern start now. With the exception of the Giants and the Royals, we've got lineups out. So very quickly here, uh, I'm going to uh, just see what I can find. The Phillies lineup and the Mets lineup, that all looks normal. Uh, Dustin Fowler making his debut as expected against the Yankees. He's batting ninth and, of course, playing center field. And... Um, no Gary Sanchez, no Gary Sanchez for the Yankees uh, tonight. So definitely take a note of that. And I think everything else is, yeah, we're, we're just, you know, I want to get to everything else. So I've had to take kind of a very quick scan here. Um, and uh, we do have the Mariners and Tigers lineups out, but again, I would just ignore those because that, game looks really sketchy in terms of the weather so let's get to some of the uh, stand-up performances and actually before i forget uh, i did get one twitter question and i'm going to follow up real quick and make sure i didn't get any others so uh we'll just go to the one that i have here and this one is from at the randall pink 10 team Roto League need to cut one of the following Conforto, Buxton, Samarja, or Newcomb. Uh, for me, it's easy. It would be Samarja. 10 team. I mean, if this, I think even a 12 team league, I'd, I'd be ready to cut Jeff Samarja. Uh, 10 team league. That actually is pretty easy. So hope that helps, uh, Randall. All right. So let's uh, take a look at the performances from Thursday's games. Uh, Walker Bueller is. Someone actually, I, I think this is a discussion that I had on Twitter rather than here. So it gives me an opportunity to, to, to bring it to the show that somebody had a uh, like a, a lineup question or, or question uh, regarding Walker Bueller. And the, the thing that I expressed is that uh, whatever the choices were that, that the person gave me, I said, I, I, I like Bueller the best, but I would just be aware that I'm not totally convinced that he's going to be a strikeout pitcher in the major leagues because he's not either in the, the very limited time that he's pitched for the Dodgers and in the minor leagues, he's not been a big swing and miss guy, but he he pitches a ton in the zone. So that obviously helps some with strikeouts and definitely helps a lot with the walk rate, but um, his last Not not last night's start, but his penultimate start. I just like an excuse to use that word. And his penultimate start against the Padres, Bueller got ten swings and misses, which is not huge, but uh, I think it was ninety three pitches. I might be off by one or two, but you know a a a good rate, Uh, not a great rate, but a good rate. But it's the Padres. Well, last night facing the Reds, the Reds have the lowest swing and miss rate in the entire major leagues. And he got to double digits again. Ten swings and misses on fewer than 100 pitches against the Reds. So that's that's really encouraging. Uh, again, it's just one start, but it is back-to-back starts with ten whiffs. And maybe it's the beginning of of a progression for Walker Bueller. Uh, But overall, a very good start, even though he didn't get the win. Uh, two runs allowed over six innings on five hits. No walks, eight Ks. So those swings and misses helped him rack up some Ks. Should be a guy who gets a lot of called strikes, by the way. So... If Anytime he's in double digits with swings and misses, that's probably going to be a very good start for Walker Bueller. And that this was one uh, technically it wasn't outpitched by by Tyler Maley, Uh, but the, the Reds got the win nonetheless. Maley uh, gave up a run in five innings on just three hits, but he walked four batters and only struck out two. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, a pretty good start against the Yankees. He did walk three batters in just five innings, but only one hit allowed, no runs, and eight Ks. That's kind of a classic Eduardo Rodriguez line. I I think he's going to be great for strikeouts. ERA, you know, I'm not quite sure what to expect there. But walks could be an issue. Home runs could be an issue for Rodriguez. So I was a little bit worried about the start against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. But he got up to 93 pitches in five innings, so a uh, fairly short outing for him, but still helped you with the case. And one other good performance, because uh, it wasn't really, a, first of all, it wasn't a big slate, and it definitely was not a big night in terms of great pitching, especially from unexpected places. But Miles Michaelis continued his good string of starts. He and Now, this is the Padres, so that always kind of gets a, a discount in terms of the matchup but uh, did go six and two thirds and giving up just one run. And this is the thing that I do like about Michaelis, especially in points leagues. I think he could be a quality start machine. I think he could pile up those innings, which that alone gets rewarded in a typical points league. Uh, the strikeout's probably not always going to be there. Uh, in a sense, he's, he's sort of a, a Bueller type but that. He's, he's got really good control, uh, but the, you know, the, the swings and misses uh, are typically not there for for Michaelis. So, uh, yeah, one run on five hits and one walk, four Ks against the uh, the Padres. But on a recent show, I just mentioned really offhandedly, I thought Michaelis had the highest chase rate among qualified pitchers in the majors. I'm, per, I'm almost positive that was true not too long ago. Uh, As of right now, he ranks fifth. So that's still really good with a very high 36.4% chase rate. And again, that's swings on pitches, not in the strike zone. So Masahiro Tanaka is the leader in that category. And that's something that he typically does excel at. But what's interesting about Michaelis is that he's a real outlier because that's you talk about stats. Like if you have a favorite stat, I don't believe in favorite stats because to me, it's it's. There's no one stat alone that tells you a story. Um, you have to look at things in, in context with other things. But uh, chase rate is, is a is a pretty good one. It doesn't explain everything, but it's a really good indicator of success compared to, to some other standalone measures. And it's usually an indication of a good strikeout rate and can be an indication of a low walk rate, but not necessarily. Of the top eight, Qualified pitchers in chase rate as of right now. Michaelis is the only one who has a swinging strike rate that's below 11%. He's, it's actually a little bit below 9% for Michaelis. So just an interesting outlier there. I'm not sure what you do with it. Maybe it does say that there's you know, some potential for him to be a better strikeout pitcher, but he just ha- allows a lot more contact than the the typical pitcher who's Deceptive enough to to get a lot of chases. Uh, and I said that was actually, that was going to be the last good start. I uh, almost left out Jordan Lyles, who was the other pitcher in that game, making his first start for the Padres after spending the uh, first few weeks in the bullpen. Uh, Lyles went five innings, just giving up one earned run, also one unearned run on five hits and a walk with six Ks. Against the Cardinals. So pretty impressive start after a good stint in the bullpen for Jordan Lyles. Now a couple of not-so-good starts to pick apart a bit. Uh, Jay Happ pretty much got clobbered by the Mariners. Only about lasted three and a third. Gave up seven runs on ten hits. Two walks and only three strikeouts. Although, again, he was only in there for three and a third. Gave up a couple of homers. And I think that's the real story there for Jay Happ. Strikeout rate's been really good. The walk rate, not bad. But he's now given up nine home runs in 45 innings. And that's not completely out of nowhere because he does give up quite a bit of hard contact. And this is a theme that's come up. It seems like a lot on this show uh, where there just are a lot of pitchers who will give you strikeouts. But despite the relative lack of contact, there's enough hard contact when they're not missing bats that they're sort of unpredictable for ERA. So uh, Hap definitely in that category so far. And Jose, Bri- uh, uh, sorry, Jose Brios, um, not a very good start yet again. And this one against the Angels, and there's been a trend for him. Uh, so this one, five and a third, five hits on seven, five runs on seven hits with a walk in only two strikeouts. And at this particular start, Brios uh, threw 47 percent of his pitches in the zone, that's a really high rate and much higher than where he was last year or in his first season in 2016. wrote about this for Rotographs recently and it was kind of a pessimistic piece saying that if Brios is going to be more of a, a a true contact or a true um control pitcher. He's got to get more whiffs in the zone. And against the Angels, granted a very good team, uh very good offense. The the contact rate on his pitches in the zone was 95%, which is really high, like extremely high. So I am very discouraged right now about Brios, and I would not start him unless I absolutely had to, like in a, in a very deep league where there just weren't viable options. So uh, for the, all that discussion of pitching, a lot of really good hitting performances, and several of them against the Marlins last night. And Caleb Smith wasn't wasn't too bad, but uh, Drew writer who had been pretty much automatic, this season and 16 out of 17 appearances hit not giving up a run. He gave up six uh, in uh, less than an inning. I think he only got one out actually against the Braves. Uh, Freddie Freeman went five for five. He homered off the of second rider. Ozzie Albies had a grand slam against second rider. And Ender and um, Ciarte is starting to heat up. I think a couple of good games in a row after a drought. Uh, with a couple of doubles in this one. And even though it's been a bit of a slow start for Enciarte this year, already up to 16 steals, uh, got one of them last night against the Marlins. And he's moving up in the batting order. So uh, if you have been benching him, as I have been, maybe time to change that. Um, Kyle Seager, been a little bit slow with the power stats so far this season. Which is surprising given that he ended last year uh, with a big spike in his fly ball rate. That's mostly carried over to this season, but he did have a two homer game on Thursday against the Blue Jays. Uh, he's now up to six homers on the year. Also, Ryan Healy staying hot in that game, two for four, with his sixth homer of the year. Uh, he now has a 27.3 home run to fly ball ratio, Ryan Healy. So, a dramatic increase, almost a doubling of his rate from last year. And the biggest key to that is just he's pulling the ball a lot more, up to a 50% pull rate, which is decidedly high. Uh, Brian Dozier, having one of his patented slow starts, but but, uh, having uh, an exception to that pattern on Thursday against the Angels, went 4 for 4 and hit his sixth homer and sixth double of the year. So all of a sudden his ISO, not too far behind where it was a year ago, Scooter Jeanette, also somebody who's catching up after uh, a a start that put him on pace that was way behind last year, that breakout year for Jeanette. He's now had three straight games of the home run. He's up to five. He got three hits against the Dodgers last night. Also got his 10th double of the year. Daniel Descalso. This is somebody folks need to start paying attention to. He is available almost everywhere. His ownership rate. I wrote about him the other day, so I had to look this up then. I doubt it's changed too much. But at that point, he was available in more than 80% of the leagues on Fantrax, which has a lot of deep leagues, on CBS, which has a lot of deep leagues, ESPN, Yahoo, uh, everywhere. Um, widely, widely available. He hit his eighth double on Thursday against the Nationals. His batting average is now up to 272 and he's got a 261 ISO and he is one of eight hitters in the majors right now with a hard fly ball contact that's over 40%, so a lot of hard contact on flies and he's pulling fly balls more than 35%. Only seven other hitters have that combination. So maybe the batting average at some point will suffer for it, but uh, Descalso, I would say look at the power's looking for real for him so time to pick him up and time for me to uh let this one go and head for the weekend so thank you so much for tuning in thanks again to alan Jager. have a great weekend everybody don't forget we got uh, an afternoon lineup block just after Eastern on monday i'll be here a little bit after that look forward to seeing you then have a good one everybody.